All right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. My previous guest was Ken Watts. Yeah. He's the elected chief of the Sashat First Nation on Vancouver Island, part of the New Chalneth mm-hmm. Tribal Council. And I thought it's interesting that we're seeing more indigenous leaders in British Columbia now stepping up and speaking out on this museum saying, hang on a sec, we were not consulted on this. Maybe this is not the best use of the money right and now. And this may be the way out of this protracted mess the NDP has found itself in, this giant hole it's dug for itself. If First Nations uh, agree to take ownership of this in terms of saying, we'll, we'll you know, set up museums in our communities or we'll take charge of these artifacts. There are 7 million artifacts in the museum, about, I think, uh, less than 2% are actually on public display. Many of them are First Nations uh, artifacts that are, yeah. that are rightly belong to them. Uh, now, the, the museum's arguing they're going to move them all to another facility short-term in Saanich. Yeah. First Nations say, no, no, let's put the brakes on that and just yeah. return them to us. And again, I think this may be the way out of this mess for, for the NDP. The other interesting thing is that he said that he, he heard about this museum in the news when he yeah. heard about it in the news. And so there had been no consultation with that First Nation. Now, obviously, the uh, Lekwungen-speaking First Nations in Greater Victoria were consulted because mm-hmm. they were part of the announcement. But it doesn't sound like there was much consultation with other There's indigenous 204 people. First Nations in yeah. B.C. I doubt very, very few of them were actually consulted or yeah. notified about this project. This this came out of the blue for the vast majority of the population. That includes First Nations. But again, if First Nations are now coming up with proposals uh, as an alternative to this eight-year-long $1 billion project, I think it'd be uh, in, in the NDP government's interest to listen to them. Do you think they're looking for an exit strategy on it, though? Because it sounds like they were determined. Well, it sounds like John Horgan's determined, but New Never Guys I talked to are increasingly nervous about this. I think a lot of them are looking for an exit strategy. Uh, this is not something that uh, is a lot of them are too comfortable with talking about. But John Horgan, again, he's been on the radio. He's been uh, in various... Uh, news conferences still stubbornly clinging to this thing yeah. that it's the right thing to do. But I, I think uh, su- support for it, not that there was ever much there for it, is eroding quickly. Okay, following that one closely, let's talk about another issue that some people think should be a higher priority for the government, and that is the shortages and delays and problems we're seeing in the healthcare system. And we continue to hear about largely kind of smaller hospitals mm-hmm. and sort of more rural parts of the province where Less a populated. lack of doctors... Are shutting down temporarily, shutting down emergency rooms, which is not yeah. Good. So there, you just do the math. Uh, the population in these in these areas is uh, much smaller than urban areas. So you're seeing a lot of rural areas hit now with sh- staff shortages. Um, the human resources uh, shortage is not just confined to healthcare. It's going to be. It's going to show up in other sectors and also not just physicians and nurses in healthcare. Technologists, the people who run MRI machines, X-ray machines, and other lab equipment, they're also uh, having shortages because people are retiring. People are retiring in great numbers right now because of uh, the baby boomer generation has this big bulge in the demographic. A lot of them are hitting 65, 70, and they're retiring, and you can't fill the, the vacancies quick enough. We just don't have the replacements. They've got 400 family physicians, not all full-time, but 400 family physicians right now who have some sort of practice who are over the age of 70. They're going to disappear very quickly. We're not filling those 400 uh, vacancies anytime soon, and there's really not much the government can do to uh, to really greatly improve that. You can't force someone to be a yeah. family physician. And it's not just rural and remote hospitals where this is causing problems, too. I've listened to this. This is Dr. Jeff Epler, who is an emergency room doctor at Kelowna General Hospital, talking about the problems there. 
in the last many months, I've seen really marked increases in just how overwhelmed the hospital is. I've really never seen morale lower, and um, I've never seen such high staff turnover as I've seen recently. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, Kelowna and Kamloops, Royal Inland Hospital is a real problem area. So a few things are going on. You do have uh, an r- ongoing record number of healthcare professionals are homesick with COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. That's about, you know, uh, almost double the usual absentee rate. So that's an ongoing issue. Um, you know, despite our sense we're getting back to normal, the reality is the COVID virus is still out there. It's still infecting people at a, at a very high rate. So if you're a healthcare worker, if you're any worker and you test positive, you're not supposed to go to work. So that's happening. You've got the retirees, uh, happening at a great pace. You've got the burnout factor where people have been going all guns blazing for the pandemic and they're burned out, uh, and they're not showing up. And then there's also, I would not completely disconnect this. There's also the fact there's uh, people are working without a contract. Yeah, there's contract yeah. talks going on, and that includes doctors who are negotiating a new master agreement. So, you know, that's there's a bit of, you know, relation to that particular aspect. But you put it all together, and it means there's going to be ongoing shortages in the healthcare yeah. system. And that's going to continue all through the summer. Okay, that's a big problem and a big uh, big challenge. People for are also right accessing now. the healthcare system in a way they didn't in the pandemic. Uh, people, you look at the, the math we got a while ago, there were something like 15 million virtual visits. Yeah. Uh, and only three million in-person visits uh, in the in the last year. That's now starting to reverse itself. That people are starting to show up more in person, and that's also uh, exacerbated an already uh, festering problem in terms of a lack of resources. Let's talk about the political drama happening right now. Oh boy. across the pond As here. As we speak, yes, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, facing a non-confidence vote by members of his own conservative party that is happening right now so it's a, two, right now. it's a two-hour window for conservative mps here to vote on johnson it's between 10 a.m and, and 12 noon our time so that is happening right now boris johnson's fate is about to be decided and it all comes back to the party gate scandal parties yeah. uh, two of them on the eve of prince philip's funeral uh, I just tweeted, I just found this on, uh, on the internet. New York Times posted a great, uh, interview with Jonathan Pye, who's a satirical broadcaster in London. It's hysterically funny, but spot on, where he talks about, if you want to try to explain Boris Johnson to an American audience. And he basically draws the parallels to Donald Trump in so many, so many ways. It's, and he does it very humorously. So I invite people to go on Twitter and check that out. Okay. Here is Johnson apologizing for the parties that went on at 10 Downing Street, despite the COVID lockdowns in the United Kingdom. So here's how he's trying to apologize his way out of it. It did not occur to me then or subsequently that a gathering in the cabinet room just before a vital meeting on COVID strategy could amount to a breach of the rules. I repeat, that was my mistake, and I apologise for it unreservedly. Now look how the British public is reacting, though, during the (laughs) Platinum Jubilee on the weekend when Boris Johnson arrived at an event to celebrate Queen Elizabeth on the throne. Listen to the public's reaction here. A booing. Prime Minister just arriving with his wife. It's quite booing in the crowd there. Uh, well, and you can hear it. There is really quite a lot of booing, actually. Wow. A substantial amount. 
Yeah, a substantial amount of booing. Well, the fact that he's obviously unpopular with the general public will motivate a lot more conservatives to say, time to go there, buddy. Um, so yeah. I, I'd be surprised if he survives the vote today. Some of the analysis I've read in the British press is that the best thing he's got going is there's no obvious successor, and there's no strong candidate waiting in the wings, and that may be enough for him to survive. But I don't know. We're, so hope, I guess we're not going to get the result before the end of your show. No, probably uh, not. Well, we'll talk about it tomorrow, but yeah. I'd be surprised if he survives. So he needs – this is triggered, by the way, when 15% of the members of his own conservative caucus sign a letter mm-hmm. uh, indicating they don't have confidence in him. That triggers this automatic secret ballot vote by his own MPs, and he needs 50% plus one to survive. It seems, Just like Jason Kenney needed that 50%. Yeah. But if he gets only a marginally, like marginally over 50%, is is his goose cooked anyway? Well, that, Just like Kenny. Just does. like Kenny. I mean, he, I don't see how you govern effectively if you've got 52%, only 52% yeah. support or something like that. Right. He's not going to get a high confidence vote today. He may survive it, but what in do you terms think of, he needs? Like, how high a vote does he need to survive? Well, I think he needs 70, 75%. Yeah. You know, Joe Clark pulled the plug at, uh, what, 76% or something? Wow. Um, so some leaders think they need a, a higher score than that. But again, if he's stubborn, he can hang on with 50 plus one. But in terms of credibility, he needs a lot higher score than that. Right. And Margaret Thatcher, I think, got taken down in a similar manner by her own party, right? She had, whether you back her or not, she had a much more um, stronger record than Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson can't point to really anything in terms of a success. I mean, the pandemic has really made it hard for any government to, to achieve success, but Johnson has really been floundering. As we continue with uh, Keith Baldry, um, let's go to your phone calls. Uh, Steve in the West End. Hello, Steve. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Mike. Yes, okay, yeah, go ahead. Much. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the comment on the uh, museum and the artifacts. I think it's absolutely a great idea to have natives choose whether they want their artifacts returned or not. How would we feel if, uh, say, the Ottomans in Europe had, you know, uh, expropriated some artifacts out of Greece? Europe probably would ask for those back. Um, The only thought I would add, though, is um, once those artifacts have been securely delivered, I feel it's the responsibility of that that band or nation to cover the costs of displaying and housing and protecting those. I don't think that should be a provincial taxpayer obligation once they've been delivered mm-hmm. safely. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure First Nations, many First Nations got a lot of money these days to build museums. but Yeah, I don't right. think they build museums. Some would. Or some long would. house or, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. their big house or, you know, they other the facilities that they deem appropriate uh it would be their responsibility to take care of that so Keith. we're talking about the bc robbie museum has seven million artifacts yeah. those are not all first nations by any means but there's still a big chunk of that are first nations so yeah. just the physical storage space for these uh, artifacts i mean don't dismiss the challenge that would come with uh storing these and or displaying them but keep in mind again seven million artifacts about 1% are on public display. The vast, vast, vast majority are in the basement or under lock and key. And again, this is the challenge all museums have. Uh, museums are basically, many museums are made up of collections that come from other cultures or from conquered countries. Yeah. When, uh, At what point do you return them? And that's one of the questions facing the Royal BC Museum. Okay, phone lines are open. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll-free on your cell. Rob in Abbotsford. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, 
you have to ask the question, what kind of human being would spend a billion dollars on a museum when you have a million people without adequate health care? And secondly, um, reported in a local paper uh, last week that uh, stage four cancer patient can't get uh, uh, chemotherapy because of inadequate levels of staffing. Yeah. Anyways. That's, yeah, that's thank you for that. Say. Thanks for that. Now, there have been some horror stories about people who can't get care in the health Yeah, crisis. and this is, again, I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with the museum, but uh, people are going to always compa- compare this. This is the problem the government has with the museum. No, no, last week, um, without much fanfare, uh, one more than a $1 billion uh, expansion for Burnaby General Hospital was announced. Nobody said a word. I mean, that's just what you expect. Yeah. Uh, that happens all the time. People are, we're building the Broadway subway line, two and a half billion dollars. Uh, again, this is not a public controversy bit. This a billion dollars for a museum is instantly framed against yeah. all sorts of other things, whether it's fair or not. People are going to do that. Okay, I'm following closely online here the voting happening in the United Kingdom right now. Uh, on Boris Johnson and whether he will continue as leader of the Conservative Party and as Prime Minister. So the vote is underway right now. It's a secret ballot, goes on for two hours. So, you know, the opposition leaders this morning are saying, uh, calling on the Conservative MPs in the House of Commons in London, vote him out, vote him out in the national interest. You know, maybe uh, they careful should what be- you wish for. Yeah. I think yeah. the opposition party be, would rather have Boris Johnson hang around. If the guy's that unpopular to the general public, why not take him on in a general election rather than someone they really haven't tested yet? Yeah, let's listen to uh, what some of the opposition voices here in the UK. So this is Ian Blackford, MP, leader of the Scottish National Party, the SNP, mm-hmm. in the House of Commons. And here he was, he was very critical of Johnson. The Speaker thought he crossed the line. He got kicked out of the House of Commons. Listen to this. The public know this is a man they can no longer trust. He has been investigated by the police. He misled the House. He must now resign. Order. You'll have to withdraw that last comment. I am standing up for my constituents that know that this Prime Minister has lied and misled the House. I ordered the Honourable Member to withdraw immediately from the House. Okay, yeah, I think so we should play. Out. I think you should play Ian Black, a clip from Ian Blackford every single show. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> so, but you know, maybe he'll get his wish, and Johnson will be removed. But then, what if they replace him with someone who's who's better? Well, there's, there's nobody obvious sitting in the wings who's a really super attractive candidate. But we don't know. I mean, there's some maybe someone there will emerge from the shadows. But uh, it's interesting the voting is going on as we speak. Unfortunately, it's not going to be revealed before the end yeah. of your show. But uh, definitely, here's the. For, uh, Thought for tomorrow. Here's the opposition leader in the United Kingdom, the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. What a joke. Even now, as the latest mealy-mouthed apology stumbles out of one side of his mouth, a new set of deflections and distortions pour from the other. But the damage is already done. The public have made up their mind. They don't believe a word the Prime Minister says. They know what he is. Well, we'll we'll see if Conservative MPs have made up their mind. Well, you know, Starmer's certainly a leg up from Jeremy Corbyn, the previous uh, Labour leader, but uh, don't discount the Conservatives from winning the next election under a new leader. We'll see what happens. Thanks, Keith. All right.